0: Yesterday, Karen and Bria and I traveled, Hope and Passion Ministries, went to Broadway Alliance and we shared at a women's rally there and that was really cool. It started out kind of interesting because we were walking in the back door to the basement and um, Bria saw a very squashed dead mouse. And she was kind of hyped up about that. I said, please step over the mouse. The thing's got to continue on. So we got there. And then I walked in and I got up to speak. And a a friend of mine, a person that I know normally loves to hear me speaking, was holding a newspaper. And uh, she proudly told the people around her that the newspaper was just in case I got boring. She was going to pull it out. So it started off, you know, in a rough way. But it ended up being one of the best times that we have ever had. It ended up with a move of God's Holy Spirit and testimony after testimony of what God did. So there's all kinds of blessings. Two friends of mine, um, one older and one younger, both led a person to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior yesterday. You know, they both both let me know that, and I thought, wow, this is just so cool, the things that God is doing. He desires that we hunger and that we thirst for Him. Amen. I want to start off this message. I normally don't do this, but with a quote from A.W. Tozer. He wrote a book about the Holy Spirit, and here's what he said in one paragraph. He said, We read books on the filling of the Spirit, but we won't meet the conditions. We are as full as we want to be. The Scriptures say, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now... If there is a man or woman anywhere who is hungering after God and is not filled, then the word of God is broken. We are as full as we want to be. Amen? That's a true statement. And I want to put that statement out there to begin with because I believe that we have a sanctuary full of people this evening because there are people who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And it's about time that the church of Jesus Christ gets filled, amen, with the power of God's Holy Spirit and start being effective in life. And so that we start hearing these reports of people who are living everyday life, thinking about God, concentrating on Him, putting Him into the daily operations of what they do. People are getting saved. People are getting excited. People are no longer fearing death. They're no longer fearing their problems. Amen? That's what we're meant to do. Now, when I gave the announcement for the Holy Spirit here on a Sunday morning, I referred to the book of Acts, chapter 1. And I just want to remind everybody about this. When Jesus left this earth, when his physical self arose up from this earth, do you know what one of the last things he said to his disciples was? They were all worked up about him having risen from the dead. And they wanted him to take over the Roman Empire right then and there. They wanted him to change the world as it was right then and there. And they said, Jesus, is this the time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is now the time when you're going to take over everything, all the political systems, and basically set up the millennial kingdom right now? And Jesus did not deny that he was going to do that, but here's what he said. It's not for you to worry about the times or the seasons that the Father has appointed, okay? Basically, he said, that's going to happen, but don't you get all worried about when I'm going to come back and make everything right. Now, everybody knows there's nobody who gets more excited about a resurrected body in heaven than who? shelly prindle i'm all about the reality of heaven you know we got the heaven event i teach on the resurrected body i'm all about it but i've got to tell you something i am more on fire to be a powerful witness for jesus christ than i am for heaven because jesus said don't you worry about the times and the seasons he said here's what he said but you shall receive power You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in every part of the earth. Amen? And the church of Jesus Christ today has been rendered largely ineffective. We're too busy thinking and talking about all these theological things. We're not focused on the Holy Spirit who is God Almighty dwelling in us. And so I pray that you will tune in this evening. If you have a Bible, I pray you'll have your Bible open. Don't worry about scratching down too many notes. If you want the PowerPoint from this message, we can get it to you. Just email Hope and Passion. Don't worry about that, but tune in and get excited for who the Holy Spirit is this evening. So would you bow your heads with me and let's let's invite him to work. Father, we know that your presence is here because you are omnipresent. We know that you're with us in the sanctuary, but what we are asking for is that you open up and break our hearts. It's a difficult prayer to pray, God, but it's the one we need to pray, that you would break us at every point that we need broken, that you would open up our minds and our hearts so that you can fill us the way you desire to fill us. So God, I come to you this evening and I give this message to you, I give every heart and every life to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, title of the message The Holy Spirit. Who is he? Where is he? And what does he do? Pretty simple, right? Not such a simple answer. Okay. It seems like it's kind of, you know, kindergartenish. It's the Holy Spirit one oh one. But it is so exciting. Who is he, where is he, and what does he do? And it's important for us to pass this on to our children and to our grandchildren so that they understand. Now, my tagline there at the bottom is, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He is God Almighty. We worship Him, and yet, miracle of miracles, He takes up residence inside of us. And that just blows my mind. Now, the reason it's so important for the church to talk about the Holy Spirit is, this is one of the reasons. We believe in theism. We are theists. That means we believe in one personal God. Now, there are people who are atheists, atheists. They believe in no God. And then we have something that is sweeping over our culture. It's nothing new under the sun. It's been there since the book of Genesis. But it's something that has really swept over our culture through Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Phil and and, uh, Deepak Chopra and some of these other people. It's called pantheism. And pantheism means everything is God and God is everything. That's a wrong belief. And these people actually, at the core of what they believe, is that everything material or physical is really just spiritual in its essence. And you will hear them throw around terms freely like the God consciousness, the ultra-consciousness, You'll hear Oprah Winfrey even talk about the Spirit of God with a capital S. But we need to be extremely wary because Oprah Winfrey, when she talks about the Spirit with a capital S, forgive my grammar, she ain't talking about this Holy Spirit. And the Church of Jesus Christ needs to understand our own theology because these terms are being thrown around and we're getting all confused. Now, why that's important to understand is pantheists, Believe that God is a force. They do not believe that God is a person. He is a consciousness. He is a force. It is a force that we can all eventually tune into. Now, you get all off track if you think of the Spirit as being impersonal. Because last time I checked, God has revealed Himself as what? A person. So that's one reason it's dangerous. He is not, the Holy Spirit is not a force, an impersonal force of the New Age persuasion. Now, here's the other reason that we get into trouble within the church of Jesus Christ. And and I just want to, you know, a little bit of disclaimer. I grew up in the Assemblies of God. Anybody else familiar with the Assemblies of God? A little bit different than the Alliance churches. And as I shared with the people at Broadway yesterday... Assemblies of God, we used to have the whirlybirds. Who remembers the whirly birds? I got saved in Calvary Assembly over there in Irwin as a whirly bird I was wearing a red and white beanie and had a propeller on my head when I got saved. I kid you not. You could spin it around. <laughs> okay, so I remember. Mom, remember I ran out of the parking lot and I was, Mom, I got saved. I got saved. I'm like this little beanie spinning, a little propeller spinning. And, of course, I tell people I got saved about 14 more times after that. But that was the first time. So I grew up in an Assemblies of God church. I've been to, I've been principal of Christian schools at non-denominational churches. I've spoken in Presbyterian churches, Methodist churches. It's all over the place. So I, I kind of know the gamut of things. I'm going to tell you what there's a, there's a danger in. There's also a danger within the church of Christians looking at the Holy Spirit as a power for them to harness. That's a, that's a danger zone. Too so many times we emphasize the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a wrong way. And we look at the Holy Spirit as some type of power that I can harness if I'm a good Christian. Are you with me? Because it's exactly the opposite. The Holy Spirit is not something that I manipulate. Rather, it's exactly opposite. Turn that whole thing inside out. He is God. He's supposed to harness me. He's supposed to reach down and do something with my life, not me take him and do what I want with him in terms of gifts and power. Are you with me? And we need to turn our thinking inside out. He's not an impersonal force. He's not a power for humans to harness for whatever they want to or to look good as Christians. Amen? All right. He is God. Now, I have been teaching and speaking for over, well, in Christian education for 15 years. Speaking since I was about 16 years old. And all that time, I've heard people from this big to like 95 years old, Christians refer to the Holy Spirit as it. And it grates on my nerves. I mean, mature Christians talk about the Holy Spirit, talk about God. Then they'll talk about the Holy Spirit and they'll call Him it. He... ...is 100% God. He is as much God as Jesus Christ is God. His name is the Holy Spirit... ...or the Spirit of Truth... ...the Spirit of Christ... ...the Spirit of God... ...and always use the pronoun... ...capital H-E. He is Him. Okay? We're talking about the Holy Spirit... ...and He dwells within us. Now to understand that... we got to go back to the basics... ...which is the Trinity i want to give you i want to use alliteration here to help you remember what each person of the trinity does in the trinity we have the father right now the father is the one who plans our salvation when you think about the trinity always think of the father as the one who planned this whole thing he planned creation and he planned for little Shelley prindle to be saved as a whirly bird when she was about six or seven years old He planned to get a hold of you and to save you. Now, when it comes to the Son, Jesus the Son, the Son provides our salvation. All right? The Father planned it, but the one who put on flesh and came down to this dirty, rotten, stinking earth and paid the price for it, and as we've been studying in Sunday school, descended into the lowest thing that we will ever have to endure because of our sin, death. The one who did that is who? Jesus so the Father has planned our salvation, and the Son provides our salvation. Now, the Holy Spirit, who is also 100% God, don't leave him out. The Holy Spirit is the one who protects and promotes our salvation. The reason, and I just want to share this with you. It was so neat this morning that I don't know who, Vicky or whoever picked it out for our songs this morning... Um, After sharing this message yesterday, Bria ran up to me after church and said, did you hear that one song that we sang? Father, I adore you. Jesus, I adore you. Then Spirit, I adore you. Listen, in my own personal prayer life, and I challenge you to make this a part of your prayer life, don't belittle the Trinity in your life. Here's what I often do when I go to pray. I'll pace my house from living room to kitchen and I'll start praying. And here's often how I'll start it. I'll say something like this, addressing each member of the Trinity. I'll say, Father, I thank you that you planned for me to be born. Father, I thank you that you planned for Jesus to come and for me to be saved. Then I'll walk through my house and I'll get to the kitchen area and I'll say, and Jesus, I thank you because you were the one who came and paid for me to be saved. You put on flesh and died on the cross, and I can't believe what you went for to pay the price for it. So thank you, Jesus. And then I say, thank you, Holy Spirit. Now this chokes me up. I love Jesus, but I love God's Holy Spirit. Here's what I say. Holy Spirit, thank you. Because you are the one that has to live inside of this. Think about that. Jesus paid for my salvation, but the Holy Spirit, I say to him, Holy Spirit, I don't know how you do it, your patience, your love. Thank you that you are the one that endures with me in my sinful self. And while I'm down here on this earth doing whatever it is I do, you put up with me. And you keep drawing me back to God. And you keep dealing in this body of flesh. You've taken up residence in me. You convict me. You comfort me when I need comfort. That's a lot of work. Amen? Okay. So here we go. A new appreciation for God as three in one. Learn to talk to the persons of the Trinity. Because they all have an important role to play. And I believe we have largely downplayed, amen, the Holy Spirit. We tell our kids, ask Jesus to come into your heart. Could he really fit in there? (laughs) His spirit. Are you with me? Do our children even understand what we're saying? When we say Jesus in your heart, what you really mean is God's Holy Spirit. Come live in your heart, all right? Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. Now, of course, all three are three in one, so it's theologically correct to say Jesus is in your heart. But make sure we understand. Make sure our kids have a grasp on the beauty and the working of God's Holy Spirit who is he? We see this beautiful picture of the Trinity in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2. If you're looking for one verse to show every member of the Trinity, that's your verse. And Peter is talking to the church of Jesus Christ who's being persecuted by Nero, and he calls the church of Jesus Christ those chosen by God. And here's what he says, those who are chosen according to the what of God? According to the foreknowledge of the father. So there you see that the father does what? What did we learn? The father plans. Okay. The father thought this whole thing out. He says, you're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the father through the sanctifying work of the spirit. How many of you love that word sanctifying? Okay. How many of your kids understand what sanctifying means? This is really important. What does the Spirit do? Here's his, His operation. He is the sanctifier. That's why I pray and I thank Him and I say, Holy Spirit, thank You for working with me. Because sanctifying means He's trying to set Shelley Prindle apart for God's purposes. Setting me apart for holiness. Making me different than the world would have me to be. Amen? So according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Now isn't it proper that since Jesus paid for me, I should obey Him? But I want to show you something beautiful here. And I know that the Holy Spirit is having me to point this out. So I'm going to pause and I'm going to do it. It says that I am to obey Jesus Christ, but it also says I've been chosen to be sprinkled by His blood. Why two things when it comes to Jesus? Okay? Okay? Because God knows that in my attempt to obey Jesus, I will what? I will sometimes fail. Don't you hate when you fail, God? It's a terrible, terrible place to be in. Terrible place, and it should be. But that's why God says, not only did I choose you to obey, but I chose you to be sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you would take time, you can jot down Genesis chapter 4 verse 10 is the first place we see murder committed in the Bible. Cain kills his brother Abel. And after Cain kills Abel, God goes looking for Cain and he says to Cain, what have you done? Your brother's blood... Now I love this. He's killed his brother. I don't love that he killed his brother, but okay, I love this concept. He said, his blood is on the ground from that murder and your brother's blood is crying up to me from the ground. Now what did God mean? What was, what was Abel's blood crying out? It was crying out, you're condemned, Cain. You're guilty. Here's the proof. You're done for. You are guilty. You are condemned. But do you want to see the beautiful tie between the Old and New Testament? You go from Genesis 4.10, then you skip over to Hebrews 12, verse 24. Listen to what the Bible says. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, whose blood, check this out, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Amen. Amen. His blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So when I fail Jesus and it cries out to God, Shelly is condemned and guilty for her sin, guess what the blood of Jesus does? No, she isn't. I've covered it. Okay? So we're chosen to obey Jesus and to also be sprinkled by His blood. There is the function. The Father plans. The Son provides. The Holy Spirit protects and promotes our salvation. You also see the Trinity in John chapter 15 and verse 26. Jesus is speaking and he says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. Okay, listen. So Jesus is talking, talks about the father. He talks about the spirit. But here's what I want to point out about this verse. This is what I love about God. The Holy Spirit is here titled the spirit of truth amen but (laughs) it's a little scary isn't it the holy spirit knows everything about you he knows what nobody else sees he knows your secret thoughts the venom in your heart the nastiness what you think he knows he knows that about me and this is what's beautiful If so many times we're afraid to let people into our lives because if they find out what we're really like, we'll think, oh, well, they won't like me. They won't want to help me. But you know what the Holy Spirit is? He is not only the spirit of truth. He is what? In the same verse, he is your helper. Isn't that beautiful? He is the one person who will know everything about you and still come alongside you to completely help you. He is the spirit of truth and he's your helper. And I just want that to settle on some people's souls tonight. I don't know what, where it is that you're at and what you've done, but God knows and he wants to help. Amen. Where is he? Okay, who is he? We've talked about who he is. Where is he? There's a sense, of course, in which the Holy Spirit is absolutely everywhere. Everywhere. There is not an inch or a place or a space on this earth, not in your home, not over there in Walmart, not in a hospital bed, not down six feet under in the ground. There's not a place where God is not. Amen? Amen. Psalm 139, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, David wrote this, okay, verses 7 through 10. He asked a rhetorical question. He said, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? So he was saying, God, is there anywhere, is there any inch, is there any space I could go in this universe where you would not be? And here is the answer that came back. David said, if I ascend up to heaven, what? You are there. If I go up to the highest place that I could be, the pinnacle of life, the best experience, God, you are going to be there. Okay? But I love this. He says, if I descend, if I make my bed in Sheol, now Sheol is the Hebrew word for the place of the dead the grave, the pit. And so David said, if I go down to the lowest place that life can take me, even if I die, no matter how far into the depths of depression or anywhere I go, God, you are what? You are still there. Who's ever felt God's presence even in the midst of your worst circumstances? Anybody testify to that? Amen. Okay, so God is faithful to be there. Now, he said something that I just love as a mathematical scientific type person. Okay? So how many mathematical scientific lovers do we have in here? Oh, yeah. There's Ben over there. Okay, there's a few. And then there's my, my youth group guy, Ben. Okay. Okay, so you see we have about 2%. All right. Well, we're going to do this anyway because I'm the one with the microphone. So here we go. He says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Now, I want you to think about what the wings of the morning are. How does the morning come? How do you know it's morning? Yeah, the sun comes up. The sun comes up over the horizon. And how does the sun come up over the horizon? It's sunbeams what? comes up over the horizon. All of a sudden, the light from the sun is hitting us. Amen? Now, let me ask you a question. How fast does light travel? How fast does the morning come? Light travels, I'm glad you asked. Thank you for asking so many of you. Light travels at 186,000 miles a second. So in the time it takes me to say one, light's gone 186,000 miles, about as fast as some of you drive down Route 30, okay? So it also goes 11 million miles a minute, or just just for a sidebar, just so you know, it can circle the earth four and a half times a second, pretty fast. So here's what David said. He said, if I take the wings of the morning. Now, I love this. Poetically, I just think God is trying to say something like this. If life hurls you so fast into a place you never thought you'd be. How many are with me? Ever had a moment like that? You get the phone call. The moment comes. Something happens. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoosh, how did I get here? If I take the wings of the morning, if life hurls me so fast, I don't even know which way is up. Even there, your hand will, what's it say? Lead me. You'll be ahead of me. Amen? The worst circumstance you ever face. The biggest thing you ever get thrown into and you're like, well, I'm way ahead of life. Life is so fast-paced. What am I doing out here? What's going on? God is already there. Amen? He is absolutely everywhere. He says, and if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Now, a little bit of science for you. I shared this in a sermon a while ago on a Sunday morning. I found out from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's website. Yes. That we, as human beings, were on this one terrestrial ball. We have only explored 5% of the oceans. 95% of what's under the sea, no human being has ever seen or cataloged. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so David, way back in 1000 BC, said, if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Now, one night with my youth group, I took this scripture before they were starting school. I wanted them to understand God was always with them. And I showed them this photograph. A little bit eerie, isn't it? Down at the bottom of the sea. And I said, tell me some adjectives to describe what that looks like to you. And what do you think some of the things were they said? Shelley, if I were down there, I'd feel scared. I'd feel, somebody was smart enough to say cold. it okay, would be very cold under there. They said it would be a little bit eerie. I would lose my sense of direction. It would be very, very dark. I would feel out of my element. David said, if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. And poetically he meant, if I find myself in a dark and lonely and confusing and cold place that I can't figure out, God, even there, your hand shall hold me. Amen? Just because you go through a trial or find yourself in the uttermost part of the sea or hurled into a circumstance you could have never comprehended does not mean God does not love you and he is not with you. Amen. God's Holy Spirit is absolutely everywhere. Let's go to the New Testament and look at another place where we see that he's everywhere. Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. The Bible says that from one man, Adam, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. Okay. And he determined the times that were set for them and the exact places where they should live. God put us all in a time and place. And here's why he did this. He did this So that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him. Now let's just stop there for a minute. So God put us at a certain time and place for a purpose. And the purpose was so that we would what? Say it with me. Seek after Him and perhaps, not for sure, but perhaps we would actually find Him. Though, what does it tell us? God is not far from each one of us. Now, those science geeks and people that like science fiction and all that kind of stuff, this isn't science fiction, but you're going to relate to this. I get it. It's kind of like a parallel universe. You with me? Because the Bible says that God wants everyone to seek Him and find Him, but not everybody's going to. Amen? But if you want to, He's very, very close to everybody. So it's like we're in this place you walk around, and I said, you know, I, when I was speaking at Broadway yesterday, I said, it, al- it always reminds me of Night of the Living Dead. Has anybody ever seen that old black and white movie? Not the remake, all right? Don't get it if you've never got it. Don't rent it if you've never. But if you have, isn't that cool? Okay, so these these people come out of the grave because of radiation who recently died, and they start walking around, but they're not really alive. They're still kind of like in a zombie-like state. So they're physically alive and they can't move very fast. You know what I mean? They're walking around like this. And I go through, I go to Walmart, and sadly, I even come to church, and I run into people who are like that. People who are living dead. Okay? People who have not entered the parallel universe of accessing God's Holy Spirit. They don't know God. He's right here with us. But they are not truly living. Amen. And that's what this is talking about. God is accessible to everyone, but he's not everyone is finding him because look at what Jesus said in John 14, 17. He, he called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. Now check this out. What does it say? Whom the world cannot, they cannot receive. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. Wait a second. We just found out that God is everywhere. We found out that God wants everyone to seek after Him because He's not far from anyone. He's like just within our reach, okay? But yet the world cannot receive Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. It has rejected Him. Do you know why? Because here the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. And there is only one way that you can access God's Spirit in your life for what you need. And you know how it is? Through the truth. Because He is the Spirit of Truth. And Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You want to have the Holy Spirit living in you? Don't believe what Oprah Winfrey says. You're not automatically in as a child of God. You want to have God's Holy Spirit take up residence in your soul? You've got to go to Jesus who is the truth for the spirit of truth to abide in you. Amen? So, while God's Holy Spirit is everywhere, He specifically abides, He lives in, He takes up residence in the people of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16. I did this yesterday and I actually shook someone, so I want to find somebody I can really shake. Okay? I, I love verses like this. I love verses where somebody's talking and all of a sudden you can just picture they're grabbing someone by their scrawny neck and shaking them. Don't you know? Okay? I picture Paul as like saying, I'll use stuff because she's young and healthy. You don't have any neck problems, do you? It's like Paul saying, Don't you know you're the temple of In you? Now, I take you to Matthew chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. This is really cool. Jesus had just cast a demon out of a man and healed him of deafness and muteness, all right? The Pharisees were angry because they didn't want to admit that Jesus was God. So here's what they said. They said, Jesus, you cast out that demon by the power of Satan. Now, Jesus is just so logical, so intelligent, you know, He he looked at them and he said, that doesn't make any sense. He said, why would Satan cast out demons? A house divided against itself will never stand. He said, that doesn't even make sense. He says, it's not Satan doing it. He says, but if by the Spirit of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has actually come into this place. Amen? Amen. Who has ever been delivered from something the devil's trying to do to you? Well, guess what? Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And Jesus said, how can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his stuff unless he first ties up the strong man? Alright, I'm not gonna go into some strong man's house, little old Shelly Prindle with my frozen shoulder, you know, and go into a really strong man's house and start plundering his stuff. I can't do it. But if I go in there and he gets tied up first, and he's all bound up in ropes. Well, then I can go in and take his stuff. And that's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, look, the kingdom of God has come upon you. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, Jesus has bound Satan. Are you with me? 2,000 years ago on Calvary, Jesus sealed the deal. He sealed Satan's fate. Check it out, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. All right? So, since Jesus has bound Satan, he has the power, the Holy Spirit has the power to come into your life and do away with whatever the enemy is trying to do in your heart. You want the enemy's plunder gone out of your soul? Trust in Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and throw it out. Amen? That is a promise that we have because he abides in the Spirit of God. Now, finally, what does the Holy Spirit do? leads perfectly into this. Well, first of all, Where is the first place we see the Holy Spirit mentioned in the Bible? Genesis, yes. A couple people, I heard a couple people say, all right? Yeah, it's not in in the book of Acts, not in the New Testament. Do you know the first place the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Bible is Genesis chapter 1, the very second verse of the Bible. Yeah, turn in your Bibles. It's amazing. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this is... We don't give the Holy Spirit enough credence. He is God. All right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, it's kind of like how God likens himself to a potter. A potter has a lump of clay. So God makes the stuff of the universe out of absolutely nothing. So he has the stuff of the earth there... And he hasn't formed it or made it into what he wants it to be just yet. He hasn't shaped it up exactly as he wants it to be. But there it is. Whether you're a young earther or an old earther, the fact remains, God made everything out of nothing and then he fashioned it. All right? So he's sitting there with this stuff that he has just made. And darkness is over the face of the deep. And what was happening then in this, it's almost like a surreal scene. A creation, no rhinoceroses have been made yet. No sharks, no mountains no galaxies, just this stuff. And who is there? This is beautiful. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is also in this sanctuary tonight. Isn't this exciting? Now, I'm sorry, but if this doesn't get you excited, now some people are starting to get excited. I'm getting very hot. I'm actually starting to sweat, all right? There's sweat pouring down my back. I'm getting so happy it. Okay, so. It got this stuff, creation's about to happen, and the same Spirit who's in the sanctuary night, the Holy Spirit of God, was what over, this, over the waters? What's it say? He was brooding, hovering, watching. He was a part of creation. He was, remember what I told you, what does the Spirit do in your salvation? He protects and promotes. Now, Colossians 1, John 1, and Hebrews 1 all tell us for sure that Jesus was the active agent in the creation of the universe. But the Holy Spirit was protecting and promoting all that was about to happen. Now listen, why that's important for you is this. Do you ever feel like you are without form and void? (laughs) No. Hallelujah. Do you ever wake up in the morning and think, I am just a lump of messy clay? What is going to become of my life? Guess who is hovering over you? The Holy Spirit. You're laying in your bed at night. You're not even conscious of what goes on. The Holy Spirit is all over you. Hovering, brooding, waiting to move and to work and to make you who you're supposed to be. So there is the Holy Spirit. He is the giver of life. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the what? Breath or spirit of His mouth. All right? All their hosts came to be. He gives life. The Holy Spirit was a part of Creation. Psalm 104, verse 30. I could have jumped out of my seat when Pastor used this scripture because I used it yesterday. I went through verses 24 to 29. Then I went into verse 30. Talks about, you know, um, all the living creatures in the sea, both large and small. Talks about the Leviathan, the sea monster, the sharks, the whales. Talks, you know, anything from clownfish to sharks to plankton, everything that's under the sea. And the Bible says that God feeds them. When he feeds them they eat, when he takes away their breath they die. Then verse thirty says you send forth your what? Your Holy Spirit and you renew the face of the ground. Now that's talking about creation and specifically their sea creatures. You want to get your kids excited about God? Next time they watch Nemo, tell them in real life little baby Nemo's come into the world because who makes them? Who brings them into being? God's Holy Spirit renews the face of the ground. The flowers come up in the spring. Guess who's doing that? The Holy Spirit. You think you're without hope? You think God can't raise up what's dead in your life? Pfft. The Holy Spirit is the giver of life and growth. And not just for creation. Amen? He is the giver of life and growth for you and me. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says, when it comes to our spiritual well-being, the law kills us. I'm not saved because I obey the Ten Commandments. I'm damned because I don't. I can't keep the Ten Commandments. Are you with me? The purpose of the law was not to save me. It condemns me. The letter kills what gives life? What does it say? The Holy Spirit gives life. The Holy Spirit is in this sanctuary tonight to give people life who need life. He is here to renew you too. He gives life and He gives growth. I'm going to skip that part and I'm going to go to um, John 14:26. Jesus said, the Helper, the Holy Spirit w- whom I will send, um, will bring to you remembrance. He will teach you all things and will bring to remembrance everything that I've said to you. I want to tell you something. I don't care if you have a high school diploma, a fifth grade education. It doesn't matter where you've gone to school or haven't gone to school. I don't care if your IQ is high or your IQ is low. Are you with me? You are smart by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a beautiful thing. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. Listen, it doesn't matter. Shelly Prindle may have a math degree, a master's degree. There are many people in this room who probably have doctorate degrees. doesn't mean nothing. No degree in the world, no IQ, no amount of knowledge can ever help anybody unless the Holy Spirit is the one doing the work. Amen? And every person in this room has total access to God's Holy Spirit. Now, I've, I'll never forget my nanny, my grandmother, my mom's mom. When she was when she was alive, oh, she was kind of like, she wasn't pro-education, <laughs> okay? So when I went back to school for my master's degree, and it was bad enough, I went to college in the first place. And then I went back for my master's degree. Oh, you know. Okay, but that's another story. Um. We would butt heads about whether you needed an education, whether you really needed to study and learn. And, okay, maybe she went a little bit overboard. <laughs> but when she lay dying for a week, all right, this woman with nothing more than a high school education remembered everything about Jesus Christ. Remembered every verse, every hymn, talked to Jesus. Listen. Listen. Don't you fear Alzheimer's? Don't fear old age? Don't fear dying brain cells? It's going to happen. The Holy Spirit, who renews the face of the ground, will teach you everything you need to know and bring to your remembrance everything you need for every moment. Amen? And I don't care. That has nothing to do with intelligence quotients. That's beautiful. He gives life and he gives growth. He convicts and gives the power to overcome sin. Now, this is where it gets a little bit rough. Just a little bit rough. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now, say it with me, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Don't let the enemy steal your peace from you. Your sin is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Then God says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me, what? Free from the law of sin and death. I want to say something up here. If you are walking in sin, you are in trouble. And you cannot blame God. Because the law of the spirit of God, the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. When I was a nasty bugger yesterday to somebody, that was not God's fault. Amen? That is Shelley Prindle's fault because the law of the spirit of life has set me free from that bondage. Now check this out, this is really rough. Romans eight, twelve through fourteen. We walk around and we live like we're obliged to sin sometimes. You know what I mean? Well, Shelley, I just can't help it. I said this yesterday because I'm 43 years old, so I think I've earned the right to say these kind of things, okay? I'm not young anymore. I'm old. I've got frozen shoulder. Frozen shoulder, okay? Bonafide, entered into old age. Sorry, people that had it before. I won't say your names. Okay. Um, I've been a diabetic for 30 years, give shots, do blood tests, face high blood sugar, all that kind of mess, okay? I have aches and pains. And I got to tell you something, We, there are Christians, we walk around like, oh, you don't know, it's kind of hard. Get up in the morning, got to do this and that. My body hurts. Life is hard. Sometimes I just, I feel, and we act like we're obliged or we owe it to the flesh to live wrong, to live underneath. ...where we should be living. Amen? Paul said, hey, you've got an obligation, but it is not to your flesh. Look at that. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. Quit making excuses for being sinful. He said, now check this out. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Let's all say this very hopeful verse together, okay? I love Shelley. She's such a great preacher. Okay, ready? For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. You're not kidding anybody. You can say you're a Christian. You can attend church and sit in the pew and give in the offering. You can do whatever. You can play whatever game you want to play and be all religious. But if you walk every day of your life in a sinful way, if sin has mastery over you, you are not alive, and you will die in your sin that's a that's that's a fact. Listen, there are no excuses, but if now check this out. How does it say we put to death the misdeeds of the body? I'm confused. No, I'm not confused. The Holy Spirit. Everybody, the Holy Spirit, all these wonderful gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, I want this gift of the Holy Spirit. I want that. I want to be able to do this and that. And I want it to be all glamorous. Do you know the main thing the Holy Spirit does for a Christian? Puts a sword in our hand and enables us to slay our flesh. That's glamorous. That's cool, isn't it? Listen, it says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you should put to death the misdeeds of the body, and then you will live. Amen? None of us in this room, you can't say, Shelly, it's too hard, there's too big of a temptation, you don't know what it feels like. Nope. God, the Holy Spirit, is the giver of life, and He has put a sword in your hand. You can slay the misdeeds of your flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then it says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Not everybody's a child of God. Sorry. God has many created people, but not everybody's a child of God. You're a child of God when you are led by God's Spirit. Amen? What does he do? Okay. Now a few of you are going to get excited about this. How many of you knew that it's the Holy Spirit who raises mortal bodies back to life after they die? Deb did. Yeah, Deb. One amen. Amen. All right. Some of you must not think about dying. Am I the only morbid person who thinks about dying? I wake up every day and I really assess my life. I think this could be the day that I die. Isn't that a song? Okay, so anyway, um, Romans eight twenty two through 24. We know the whole creation groans. The whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, stay with me on this. I, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, okay? Um, is that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but even we who have the Holy Spirit in us groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, which is defined as the redemption of our bodies. Basically, this verse, when it talks about groaning, it doesn't mean like the kind of groaning you do when you wake up in the morning and you want to snooze the alarm and you can't another time. Okay, this means a deep-seated groaning that basically says, Something is not the way it's supposed to be. Something is a mess. The earth, I know Karen says this is my favorite phrase now, the earth is just a little off kilter. You with me? Something doesn't sit right. That's what that means. There's a groaning that's going on in the, in the whole universe and even in us. Now look, it says we are waiting for something. There's a sense in which you're already a child of God, but there's a sense in which you're not yet. Your full adoption will happen when you get what? What's it say? The redemption of your body. For in this hope we were saved. And I just want to say something. Too often we're preaching a half gospel. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus now and things will be okay. What we should be preaching is come to Jesus. He'll redeem your spirit now. And one day he'll raise your body. Amen? That's the hope in which we were saved. That's what this verse is saying. I, Shelly Prindle, can't wait for the day when I have a new body that never wants to sin anymore. Because I'm fighting this body all the time. Anybody else, does your body give you trouble? It just wants to sin. It wants to give in to the flesh. I, Shelly Prindle, can't wait for the day when I have a body whose beta cells in my pancreas work perfectly. Amen? I can't wait for that day. And the Bible says that's the hope in which we were saved. Now, lest you think it would be too difficult to do, the same Holy Spirit who brooded over the creation and brought it to be, watch this. If you don't get excited by this verse... I'm sorry, there's something wrong. Okay? Come see me afterwards. We are going to have to do a diagnosis. Okay, look at this verse, seriously. If you as a Christian do not get excited about this verse... And if the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Now listen, when Jesus' body was dead and in the tomb on the third day, who went into the tomb and raised Jesus up? The spirit of God. Jesus' body was in the tomb. The spirit of God entered into that dark tomb and took a dead body and raised it up to life. Is that exciting or what? When all of hell, literally, all of hell came against keeping Jesus in that tomb, they couldn't do it. Every demon in hell could not keep his body down because the Spirit of God, who is the giver of life, raised Jesus' body. Now, it's important you understand that. Who raised Jesus' body? The Holy Spirit raised his body. We don't give the Holy Spirit enough credit, do we? I love you, Holy Spirit, because here's why. The Bible says that the same Holy Spirit who 2,000 years ago went into the tomb of Jesus lives in Shelley Prindle. And when, now I'll review this with you again. God and I have a deal. The rapture's going to happen before I have to die. Now I'm saying that facetiously, although please then hold up what I want, God. Okay, so, but if by chance it doesn't, and you all have to bury me, and you put me six feet under, and my body starts to decay, don't you worry about Shelley Prindle. Because the same Holy Spirit who went into the tomb of Jesus Christ and raised him up is going to reach down six feet under and raise up every molecule of the body you see in front of you right now. Amen? Amen. It'll be my same body raised up and made new. Now, if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what could ever excite you in this world. Amen? The Holy Spirit does that. And then finally, the last point, the Holy Spirit is our counselor. He is our counselor. Now, I love this part. The Bible says Paul's talking about, you know, getting a new body and he'll raise us from the dead. And then he says, in the same way, the Spirit who helps us in our weakness, what does it say? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, check this out. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Anybody? We don't know what we ought to pray for. All right? But the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Um, I, I could give you many, many examples of this, but there have been many times when I just fall on my knees before God, I don't even know what to pray. You ever been hit with something? You're looking at a situation, God, I can't figure out any angle how this could ever possibly work out. I don't even know what to say to you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and helps us in our weaknesses, and that God who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit Because the Spirit always intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Listen, if I pray for Karen Fulton, I might not know what God's will is for her. But if the Holy Spirit prays for Karen Fulton, now baby, something's going on. And I want to say exactly what I said at Broadway Lions Church yesterday. There comes a time in the life of every Christian, please don't take this disrespectfully, where you need to shut your mouth and quit telling God what to do. You want some counsel? Let God counsel you. God wants to come alongside you and counsel you. But you are so busy telling him the way it's supposed to be, you can't even hear him speak. The Bible says, and I'm not getting into any kind of, you know, we this verse, people, Pastor talked about a theological pretzel today. You know, some people get all worked up about the tongues. and Look, do you know what this is saying to me? In a, in a basic nutshell, this is saying this. There's a time for Shelley Prindle to either get down on my knees, get down on my face, stand or sit before God, maybe put my maybe shed tears just shut my mouth and let the holy spirit groan through me now i love jesus and if jesus is lifted up he'll draw all men into himself don't get me wrong but i want to tell you something the bible tells me that when the deepest groans of my heart happen it is which member of the trinity that groans for me the holy spirit and that is why I love him so because he comes into my living room and groans with me. Amen? He helps in our weakness. And I just, I know I went over this one time a, a, a while ago on a Sunday morning, but here's what that weakness means. In the Greek, when it says he helps you in your weakness, it means weakness of body and weakness of soul. This is what it literally means in the Greek. So what kind of counsel do you need? Are you struggling with the frailty of your body, the fact that you're just getting old, you're wearing down? Are you struggling with a sickness, an illness, some type of depression, some type of physical issue? Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will come and help you with that weakness. Amen? Are you struggling with the ability to understand a thing? Do you want God to use your life so that you can do something great and glorious? Do you even know what doing something great and glorious is? Because it's not breaking some kind of world record. It's like going to Walmart and shining the light of Jesus in the fruit aisle. Are you with me? Do you need to understand what it means to do something great and glorious? Do you need help restraining your corrupt desires? Do you want to be able to bear the trials and the troubles that you go through? Let the Holy Spirit groan through you. This is not rocket science. This is taking what we've learned tonight, taking the truth of God's word, sitting down, praying, and saying, God, let your Holy Spirit groan through me. I need you. I need you. And I'm telling you, I need him. There is no way that an OCD, anxiety-ridden person such as I, could have lived 30 years with a disease and still be sane in front of you unless the Holy Spirit was my counselor. Amen? And He's not taken my disease away from me. I pray. I have the elders lay hands on me, and that's not happened yet. Yet. It will someday. But I will tell you this, that with God as my counselor, He's used my illness to force me to depend on Him. And some people step away from my teaching. Shelly, that touched my heart. The word of God, the way you put it out. Yeah, and do you know why I love and know the word of God? The reason that I do? One of the reasons is because my body is sick. And I am forced to depend on Jesus. The world would counsel you and say you have to be strong and rich and have it all together to be sane. No, you don't. You have to have Jesus first in your life and the Holy Spirit groaning through you. That's what we need for sanity. Look at this verse. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit of God is what? Life and peace. Okay? The best counselor in the world is a counselor who will first sit with you and honestly hear what you have to say. Nobody can understand you the way that God who created you understands you. So go to him and let him see you and let him work through you. He is God. He is the protector and promoter of your salvation. He convicts and gives the power to put sin to death in your life. Amen. He will one day raise your physical mortal body from the grave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he right now, this minute, is your counselor. And we need counseled by him. Because a person who is falling apart and doesn't have peace on the inside is not a good witness for the power of God. But a broken person, and I'm one of those broken people, I struggle with a lot of things, a broken person who is depending on the counsel of the Holy Spirit is a wonderful light for Jesus Christ. Amen? We need to let him counsel us. He's the giver of real life. Would you bow your heads with me? And now, God, we take time to do what we've talked about. And I pray that for some people in this sanctuary that this may be the first wonderful time that they have ever done this. That they have honestly said, Father, thank you for planning this whole world and planning to bring me to your salvation. For planning the glory and wonder of the new heavens and the new earth that we will be in someday. Jesus Thank you, Son of God. God put on flesh to pay for what we could never pay for ourselves. We can't even imagine what you did, Jesus, and we thank you. But finally and certainly not least, thank you, Holy Spirit, who is in this sanctuary right now. Who strives and works with and deals with and comforts frail, falling apart people like us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your conviction and the power you give. Thank you for coming to counsel us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I think it's always a good practice to solidify decisions, things that we have thought through as the Holy Spirit has spoken to us. It's it's good God tells us to remember and to mark times and seasons and things that have happened. And so on this day, October 14th, this evening, as we've studied and learned, not from Shelley Prindle's philosophy, but from the Word of God, who and what the Holy Spirit does, If God has spoken to your heart in some particular way and you would say, Shelly, I want to mark this moment. I want to ask God to really meet me in that place. I want to be passionate and be the powerful witness he called me to be. I need the Holy Spirit's counsel. I need to take seriously overcoming sin. I need the hope of everything the Holy Spirit can do in my life. If that's you and you want to say, pray for me, and let's mark this moment, then would you raise your hand, and I will pray with you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Anyone else? You want the Holy Spirit to work in a new way, a way that you may not have really thought about before. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Anyone else? Holy Spirit, work in us. We love you this evening. And I just want to open up the altars as the worship team plays. If you want to come and let the Holy Spirit groan through you. Not me pray for you, not somebody else pray for you. I can pray over you. But let the